Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Real Vinny. I am Vinny. lucky to have Allison Graham. You know, looking at your, your, your story, reading your book titles, reading how you describe yourself, I, I love, you know, how you take it. So you, your resiliency coach, media contributor, and an author. That one's just the author, but it's all fantastic. And your, your book title is fantastic. Tell us everyone who you are. All right. Well, that's a broad question. Who am I? Uh, <laughs> awesome to be here and get to chat with you. And I know this is like, it's such a, you know, who knows where this conversation is going to go. So my work is all about helping high achievers do everything they do without the guilt and the stress and the burnout. And, you know, so often I'm talking to people, especially in this time of COVID, where they're like, yeah, like, I just feel like I'm never, ever, ever getting caught up. Mm. And, you know, when they're relaxing, they feel guilty because they're not doing the work. And when they're doing work, they're, you know, feeling guilty because they're ignoring their family. And so a lot of my work is around those types of topics that can help them get out of their own way and, uh, you know, start to find a bit of contentment and joy and excitement for the life again, even in the midst of the tough times. So is it defining basically, this is your work time, this is your your relaxed time, your family time, or what's, I know it's a lot more, more in the depth question, but is there like spark notes kind of thing? Yeah, so you know what, it actually, here's why the answer is not the same for everyone, okay. is because it depends how you operate. Like if you are most joyful when you're working, like if somebody told me, you know, you can't create on Sundays because that's weekend time, I would be absolutely miserable because I love to write on whenever I feel like writing. Right. So we have to find our own rhythm, our own flow. And I think uh, there are a few things like we, we can go in many, many directions. Can you believe I still have a landline in this time <laughs> in this day and age? And it's actually rings probably four times a year. And so we'll just ignore that. Sorry about that. Are you really going? It's like, well, oh my gosh. Only four times a year? Uh, uh, are you sure someone's not cold calling? Because that's <laughs> so, that's what I was doing just a little while before we got on to uh, this interview. I was cold calling. And I think I'm pretty sure I got on a couple landlines. So okay. Times, that's good. It, it, told, it could be, well, nobody knows this number. It never really got listed. And you know why I got it is because with media interviews, if something goes wrong, you need to have a second phone line. And I did radio for years. And so you can't be on like, you know, a national radio show. Uh, I'm up here in Canada and your cell service goes, you know, down. Now it's more reliable, but anyhow, that's, that's <laughs> So I think for, there's no one answer. And it's understanding and getting really super curious about what you actually need and what your flow is. And even the time of day that you're most focused, like, you know, there, I don't know if you've talked a lot on your show about like the magic morning routine that everybody like, you know, pump up in the morning and do your exercise and all of yeah. that. And the truth is, if you're someone like me who does your best concentrated work in the morning, first thing when you're right out of bed, then you trying to do what somebody else, some morning routine guru is telling you you need to do is basically setting yourself up for failure for the day. 
Like if I do the recommended routine of exercise in the morning, meditate, journal, gratitude, you know, set your intention to your organization. Like I'm not getting to work till 11 o'clock in the morning. Right. Like, yeah. and, and my whole day is done. Whereas I would prefer to pop out of bed, get some work done, my big intensity work stuff. And then I'm done working really by, you know, 11 or 12. And then I have time in the afternoon to do what I need to do. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, um, you know, some days I work really long hours, some days I work short hours, but it's like, what do you need? And let's design a life that will work for you, not somebody else who tells you you should. I always look at it like your big rocks. I mean, what are your big rocks for the day? If your day finished at that time, would you be happy with what you accomplish? And it's not yeah. as much, but at least something. So I totally agree with you. 100%. You know, when I, um, part of my story is I had a surgery that went wrong. I ended up with neuropathic pain and I'll save you the drama, if, the in-between. But I remember I was sitting in the um, hospital with my neurologist and I was just like, like, like do you know what a, an ugly cry looks like? <laughs> you ever had anybody ugly cry in front of you? And then you like add on this high pitched squeal. And that was me for like an hour like yelling at this neurologist saying, you have to fix me. I can't handle it anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm in so much pain. I just like it was like a knife twisting into my body and it had been years. And he basically told me, Allison, you are never going to work full time again. You're never going to be off medication and you need to reevaluate your expectations for your life. And he told me to go on disability. And I was like, I don't know if you've met me, but that's not going to work, right? Like I still had big dreams. I still wanted to do these things. But what happened was I only had two to five hours of functionality a day for about six years. Mm. And I was more productive then than some days I am now that I'm able-bodied again and working like full-time, like just normal. So I really believe you know, in the, I think it's, what's it called? The Pareto principle or the Plato. I don't know how to say it. It's a, that principle that says the time it takes to do a task will expand to the amount of time we have to do it. And so a lot of times, you know, we're getting so caught up in the, all the work work and we're not like looking at like, am I doing this efficiently enough? Like is the way I'm doing it the right way to do it? Should I even be doing it? Like sometimes you know, we're doing, or am I totally distracted, like multitasking and not like, there's so many things that we can do to take what we're already doing and make it less stressful. It's, it's funny. And it's the small things too, that you start realizing is taking up your time. Like, uh, one of, one of my colleagues, their coach was telling them, how many times do you check your actual physical mail on a daily basis? That should be about the same time you're checking your email on a daily basis. And I was like, wow, that is aggressive. That is aggressive. I had to think, I had to think for a second, like, oh, shoot, have I uh, looked at my mailbox lately? I, <laughs> I might have something out there. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it, it, and it's, but it's such a habit. And what I'm noticing, like, you know, emotionally, if people are buzzy, right, emotionally, or they're scared and worried about this and worried about that, and they get a lull for a moment. So maybe you're in the car or you just like don't have a task on you right now. What ends up happening is we don't like to feel the bad emotions. 
And so, you know, it's the got to go technique, right? Like, I don't like how I feel over here. So I got to go over there. And so we're constantly like, and I notice it like grabbing for the phone when we're feeling uncomfortable about something or we're embarrassed or we're scared or we're, you know, feeling any of those negative emotions, picking up the phone to call a friend or to distract myself. And it's like, no, 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 we've got to get curious. We've got to notice, wait, I don't want to feel that. So now I'm distracting myself. No, I'm going to actually sit with it. Right. And feel the uncomfortable we need to feel the uncomfortable though so we can process it and it doesn't get stuck in our body and cause you know issues like you know stressful related diseases that they're yeah on that those those moments are what allow you to grow too like you can kind of work through them i mean so you've already talked about that that one instant we'll get back to that but let's jump before that where did you grow up Oh, uh, I'm Canadian. So I grew up in a little village called Erie Beach uh, down by. So if you imagine Detroit and Toronto, I'm a little closer to Detroit than Toronto, like halfway in between. So what what's your childhood look like? Oh, I was very blessed. Uh, I will say that for sure. Uh, however, I had a lot of trauma. <clears throat> so what I mean by that is... Um, what I call that, well, no, I had some things go wrong, but I ended up with an eating disorder okay. uh, all the way through high school and in the university. I ended up leaving university and had some, you know, different assaults and things that had happened as well. And so uh, really often for the person who was, you know, big smile on my face, big, you know, whatever, I had such a low self-esteem. And I hated myself. Like, you know, I went through a decade of hell, which was what, you know, led to one of my books and why I teach resilience. And, you know, at one point I had to look and go, oh, you know, like you're beating yourself up at such a level of intensity. Like every time you walk by a mirror, oh, I'm fat. Oh, I'm ugly. Oh, I'm this. I'm that. You know, I don't even like saying out because it just doesn't even feel good. Right. Like, and it was like, you're beating yourself up every day with the thoughts you're saying about yourself to yourself. Like, I'm such an idiot. I'm so lazy. Da, 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 da. That like, no wonder the universe was just playing along. Hmm. Right? Like I had eight major breaks, bone breaks, like a nose, like I got hit by a NASCAR tire when I was changing it. Um, I uh, broke my toe. I was skiing and I broke a wrist and my knee, like somebody ran into me, like a really experienced skier, just like ran into me and put me into the trees. Like I, and I was like, what's wrong? What's going on? Why is that? You know? And I'm like, Allison, you're just, you know, I, anyway, I, I mean, maybe that's a little woo woo for your audience, but I just, I was beating myself up all the time. And I think so many people are talking so poorly to themselves. And when we can find a way to change that conversation, and find the good in who we are and embrace the faults and be okay with the worst, then we actually end up with this whole new level of freedom and we're not controlled by all the, all the negative. Where do you think that that negative mindset came from? It sounds like you're fairly athletic, fairly outgoing. Yeah. Was it, where was that? Where do you think that's coming from? Um, a couple of places. 
there were some assaults, right? Like sexual assaults young in my life. So that definitely played a huge role and I've healed from that. I don't talk about that a lot, but you've brought it out of me. Well done, well done. <laughs> uh, pull, pull the inter interview. So that definitely shaped a level of shame. I think I would say underneath everything because nobody knew about it, right? Like it wasn't public. So that's one piece. The second piece would have been, um, I would like the body shaming in many ways is because I'm actually quite a fairly big girl. Like I'm five, nine and I'm not like, nobody's ever going to call me, you know, skin and bones. Although, you know, I wish I was as fat <laughs> as I was back then, or I thought I was, you know, so I had this really skewed perception because I was a foot taller than most of the people in my class. Right. Including the boys. Right. And so, you know, they nicknamed me gorilla arms in grade five. Like, come on. Right? We wouldn't get away with that now. Although I did love Dr. Axford, uh, Mr. Axford, but he named me gorilla arms. Anyway, um, <laughs> that was embarrassing. So there were a lot of those little things. And also, you know, I, I remember a story. I came home with a test and my mom was like, why do you have two numbers on it? and it was a 97% in red ink. And then underneath it was 67%. And I had actually covered the 97% so I could show my friends that I had done poorly. Wow. So this, this pattern of succeeding and then feeling bad about it because other yeah. people weren't getting that opportunity and then cutting myself down was ingrained very, very early um, through whatever psychologically happened back then. And uh, I've spent a lot of years overcoming that and working through all of all of that. And now I can like, you know, I wouldn't let myself say something negative about myself, like without correcting it. What? So was that an outside source or is it more internally that allowed you to kind of overcome those insecurities? Well, I've read hundreds of books. Okay. It was like, so I'm a self-help junkie, right? <laughs> if I had to be addicted to something, it would be that. So in my 20s, I started reading like Tony Robbins, that kind of idea, and really just kept doing it. Like I used, <laughs> used to go when I was a bartender and you know would actually have a Friday night off. I would go to our local bookshop, right? Like chapters, you guys would have Barnes and Nobles. And I would like go and pull every book off the shelf I could afford. And I would walk up with this big stack. And that's what I'd spend my tips on were books to figure out how to get out of this, this oh, wow. sense inside of me that like I was completely flawed as a human being. And, you know, it's interesting because it's like when you're a kid, you don't have the perspective, yeah. right, that you have as an adult. But so then you internalize, oh, I'm wrong. Oh, I'm, you know, loud. Like, you know, back then we would have said a, a girl who talks too much is bossy, right? Oh, I'm bossy. You know, like, I can't do that. Or, you know, you're selfish because you're advocating for something that you want. Or you're too big for your britches. Or you think you're hot stuff. Like, I remember all those phrases being accused, like every kid gets. But you don't have any perspective to be like, that doesn't actually create your identity, right? Like it, that's not actually who you yeah. are. That's just a thing somebody has planted as a thought in your thing, in your, in your mind. Then we grow 
And if we haven't figured out how to release the identity that we shaped shaped our lives earlier in our lives, then you know you get to 20, 30, into your 40s, and that five-year-old kid is still determining your self-worth. Yeah. Right? And that's luck of the draw, what happens when you're five. Yeah. What well, I mean, going through that that structure you're talking about, it from at least my experience in talking to people, there's usually like a low point that where they're actually able to self-realize or someone else brings it to their attention. Was there was there a moment that kind of pushed you into the idea that, hey, I need help. I need to get these books. I was there a moment that something like that happened? Oh, many moments. Okay. I actually think like many, many, many moments. So um, for sure, the next level, like the next incarnation of like when I had to, you know, be inspired to figure out myself yeah. was when I was sitting in that doctor's, like with the neurologist and, you know, screaming and he's like, you're going to go on disability. I'm like, no way. And he said, well, then you need to learn how to be resilient. And I was like, oh, I don't know what that means but I'm in. And I like, it just gave me enough hope that then I went searching for that answer. But I'm going to think like there was a time when I was younger in my life, like I left school, I had been assaulted again, right? Um, left university. And I was like, my eating disorder was a low point. So I was quite sick. Like, you know, you can go through all these different times in your life. And each one of them gives you a different jumping off point. Yeah, right yeah. to to go and find uh, i ended up like, i mean gosh it sounds like i've really had a lot of issues but you know we all have yeah, like yeah. and i think and here's why i have no problem telling people about my stories and my failures is because i believe we all have them and most of us are hiding behind them yeah yeah i mean there's i think there's some people that they go woe is me yeah. and they use them and then other people say, you know what, this is just a stepping off point. I'm going to the next level. What What do you think stopped you from listening to the doctor and saying, okay, well, this is what you tell me. That's what. I, that's who I'm going to be. Oh, yeah. Uh, what do I think it was? I was scared. I was like, oh, my gosh. Really? Like, I didn't know that the pain wasn't going to go away. Yeah. Like I was on a mission, like everything was adrenaline trying to figure out how do I get this knife from out of my body? Yeah. And like, you know, feeling like that twisting of a knife. And so I, I just, I couldn't do it. Like I couldn't break my spirit to, because I always had big vision, like, you know, in university <clears throat> before I left, I go out to the bars, you know, I would do we'd fun. Right. And, you know, I'd be talking to a guy and he's like, Oh, what are you studying? And what are you going to do? And I like talk about buzzkill. I was like, so I'm going to get an MBA with a bachelor of law. And then I'm going to be the first prime minister or first female prime minister. of Canada." <laughs> and that usually probably tanked the conversations. Uh, so, you know, I had these big aspirations and it was really funny because it was this, I could see the big, Right. Like I could see the big stage. I could see the I'm going to accomplish these things. I'm going to be a multimillionaire. Like I could see all that. I couldn't see how am I going to get today and not be self self-loathing. Yeah. Like, that, like it's just interesting. Right. So I had this big vision and I was like, I'm not going to give up on that. 
But I remember um, I went through a series of after school, I went through a series of like bartender jobs, waitress jobs, receptionist, I sold cars, uh, you know, sold makeup, did network marketing. Like I was just desperately trying to find an answer of something more. And I, yeah, it just, and then I ended up in the media and I ended up like, I did a lot of really cool things, politics, media, et cetera. Once I learned how to network. So. Now talking about that, I mean, I, and then we're kind of just going through the path right here. Right. So learning how to network, what, what does that entail? What does that mean to you? Oh yeah. Uh, well, it meant talking myself into opportunity instead of talking myself out. That was a big deal. So I would hold my breath. My very first event, I'd quit my job after 9-11. It was like September 28th or something like that week. And my dad was very ticked off at me. <laughs> he was like, not happy. Um, he's like, so your job is to get a job. And I said, well, okay, how do I do that? And he said, you've got to go and network. And I didn't know like I was still a bartender at that point. Um, actually, I was an executive assistant, so and bartending at night. And so anyway, I kept quit my executive assistant position. And he's like, "Well, you can call this person. Her name was Erin, and still is Erin, one of my dad's best friend's wives. And she did a lot of like political fundraising, a lot of events, etc. And like, do you remember back in the day when we actually like had phones, like, well, like a real phone <laughs> and, you know, you had to push the numbers. Like I dialed her number like five times before I pushed the last number. That's how nervous I was. Right. <laughs> That's so embarrassing now. Anyway, I just called her. She said, sure, you can come to this event we're doing on Saturday morning and I'll have you like help me out and host and you can meet people. I was so nervous. I called my mom and dad on the Friday night and I'm like, I'm not going. And they're like, you're going. And I'm like, well, if I'm going, you're going. So come on to London. So they literally drove to the city to take me to this event because I was so scared. Oh my gosh. And that morning changed my life. Changed my life. What happened? I met people who um just believed in me actually you know what they didn't believe in me they thought i was a nice person at an event and like any good networking networker they said things like oh well you should send me your resume if you're looking for a job and oh give me a call next week and they give me your business card and so come the next week i was so naive i didn't realize that they weren't actually waiting for my call so I called them all. I followed up with everybody. And because I did that, I created relationships, relationships with, you know, people who had gone on to become significant members in the federal and provincial government, uh, people who, uh, you know, were donors when I went into fundraising and raised millions of dollars for charity, uh, people who like my best friend uh, in the world I met that morning, like it was just so much happened because I stepped out of the comfort zone and actually showed up. So this is something that I'm always working on. It's so funny because I have a, a podcast and I'm constantly talking to people, but networking is something that I'm constantly, I mean, working on, right? Because you don't want to okay. be salesy, but you want to kind of grow. I mean, for people listening right there, 
what's the best way of like the follow-up the same contact with that person to, to grow that connection i mean what did you do uh it depends on the situation right so what kind it, it shifts a little bit i think the the best follow-up is the one where the seed is planted when you're in person. So I would never leave somebody without saying, like when I was actively out networking and building my network, um, I wouldn't leave somebody without being like, oh, you know what, I'll be sure to send you that. Or, oh yeah, I'll call you next week. And then I always just did, right? Like that was a huge piece. A lot of times people fail to do the follow through. And you know this in your real estate business, I'm sure, right? Like if somebody calls you and you don't call them back, well, they're moving on to the next person. Yeah. Right. And yet it happens so often. Like I've been at events, you know, back before COVID when we actually had them where I'd say to people like, oh, I want to buy that. And like, give me a call. And they like would never actually Fall call back me. Up. I'm like, yeah. oh, my gosh, you're probably sitting there going, why don't I have any sales? And I've like literally uttered the words, I want to buy from you. And you <laughs> have chosen not to sell me right and like people do it all the time and i know i've done it on the occasion as well right it's just human nature we get busy we don't go so a few things master the follow-up uh in terms of touch points now it's really quite easy i think oh actually i shouldn't say it's really easy it's you can be more creative right so you can uh, you know, if somebody's posting on LinkedIn, you can start commenting. Don't just like it, actually comment. Comment six times in a, like on different articles, not the same article. That would be really ridiculous. <laughs> I really like this and I really like that. No, different posts, different articles, even commenting on. So if you have an executive, what I've found a lot of executives who I'm selling my corporate training services to, right? They don't necessarily post themselves but they'll like other people's posts or they'll comment on other people's posts. Mm -hmm. So then you can reply to their comment on that, right? Like okay. even anything to get on their radar screen is helpful. Also asking people for introductions. Hey, listen, I know, you know, so-and-so would you make an introduction? And you know, the challenge with that is often people will say, if you ever know anybody who needs to, you know, buy a house or sell a house, well, nobody's going to wake up in the morning and go, Oh my gosh, how do I send Vinny a, a referral today? Right? Like, it's just not how people think, but if we can be really specific and say, Hey, listen, I think, you know, your neighbor is talking or, you know, whatever, I don't know how you would do it in your industry, but being like, I, I think, you know, this person, would you make an introduction? Like be very specific and then make it really simple for somebody to introduce you to another person. Yeah. So it's got to be specific and it's got to take them less than two minutes to do. That's that's really for anyone listening right now, that's straightforward and simple advice. Now, with the advice you give, you can tell people listening right now, you're a consultant. <laughs> you've done the business, you've done the work. Uh, I mean, so what, what started allowing you to start your business, do the consulting, I mean, writing the book. I mean, you were just a bartender. You were doing bad <laughs> jobs and, and, and one day of networking and now you're kind of, what took you to the next level? Yeah, it was a little bit more than that. Okay, so no, I understand. <laughs> it does sound pretty disjoint. I don't know anybody's following this story because like we've gone from my five-year-old to my 20s to my, you know, like all the way around. But I hope, you know, a little piece will, will trigger for people. Okay, so working as a receptionist bartender, get the executive assistant job, quit that six months later, say I want more, 
go to this event, follow up with everybody who I meet, get connected onto a charity fundraiser uh, committee, go into that mood. Oh my gosh. It was the head of a, a lawyer. He was like, and I was 70 probably at the time. And his name was Angus McKenzie. He's passed away. And I am truly honored that I was a part of his life because he was such a, an incredible, incredibly given giving man. Anyhow, the very first, it was a Tuesday after that Saturday. I was so nervous. I, he, I met him at his firm to go to this first meeting for this music reigns. The Google didn't, not that Google, the internet didn't exist back then. It's not like I knew any idea where I was going. I didn't even talk to him the whole time. <laughs> I just sat in his car and we listened to classical music for the longest 15 minute drive of my entire life. Anyway, I digress. So when from there, started to get to know people, ended up raising money for the Salvation Army, created some pretty cool events to help do that. And uh, then as part of their, like they have a huge fundraising machine. I was responsible for the local did that and then uh that was going really well and i started to get into the newspaper as uh there was this column called the people you know and it was the about town column it was all about you know what the charity things were happening who was there who was the who's who and i was running an event and we i'd arranged with the columnist to cover our event and i heard she was quitting She's leaving, she's resigning from the column. So I call up the sports editor who is a buddy of mine and I'm like, David, is this true? Is she leaving the column? Like, is Carol actually not gonna do this anymore? And he said, yeah, why? What do you wanna take it over? And I'm like, no, 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 I just need coverage for our event. And he's like, oh, don't worry, we'll get you sorted, all good. Next thing you know, I go into my boss's office. I'm like, so yeah, I know we're going to get coverage. Ah, he said, what do you want to take it over? And she looks at me and said, aren't you the girl who told me you were always going to talk yourself into opportunity and not talk yourself out? And I'm like, oh, she's like, is that an opportunity? I said, yeah. I went back into my room, called him up. I said, actually, yeah, I do. He's like, want to do what? <laughs> and I'm like, take over the column. And he's laughed. He said, Okay, well, you've got the personality for it. At this point, I'm going to networking events. You know, this is just what I do, right, for my work. And he said, but can you write? And I'm like, of course I could write. I've just written an email. <laughs> I have no idea if I could write. Anyway, I ended up getting that column. I wrote five mock columns, sent it to the editor-in-chief. And so then I that was my first foray into media as a columnist. I did that for seven and a half years in different capacities. And then reputation just grew and I got involved politically. Um, I started getting job offers. People would say, hey, why don't you come and open doors for us? And I'm like, no, what if I could teach your team how to do what I did and they could figure out how to network? And I'm like, would you pay me for that? And apparently, yes, they would. So that was how my business started. And then okay. I became a trainer. This is, okay, this is the question that I love, and I'm curious where you get it, because I've got a couple different ones. How did you learn your value of what to charge? I'm still struggling with that. <laughs> I don't know. Fair enough. You know, like I, 
oh gosh, I was coaching somebody today on this and the whole time I'm, I told her this too, so I can say it here. I'm thinking, Allie, listen to your own advice, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So how do you know what you can charge? Uh, my joke back then was you can charge whatever you can say without laughing and turning bright red. Right. Yeah. So I, uh, my very first time when I was doing workshops and I was actually going to charge $2,500, I thought that was great, you know, workshop. Great. And I was out for lunch networking and I looked at the guy goes, this sounds wonderful. How much would that cost? And I said, $2,500. I turned bright red, burst out laughing. Didn't, (laughs) didn't get the job next day, walked into the regional vice president's office for one of the investment firms. And he said, how much is that going to cost for you? And I said, $2,500. And he said, whoa, for an hour? And I'm like, yep. And he said, okay, that's a lot. And I said, well, let's do the math. And so I had practiced, right? I was ready for this. I said, do the math. <laughs> I'm like, if every person in that room met one new client this year for what I teach them, out of what I teach them in that hour, how much is that worth to your firm? And he's, we did the math. He said, oh, probably $4 million. And I said, all right, well, how's 2,500 bucks? He goes, yep, let's do it next week. And that was when I learned you gotta just be strong in your feet. Now, obviously my fees have increased since then, you know, with the speaking, but that was a huge, huge deal for me back then to, you know, do that. And I was fairly green in business. What, what changed in that one night? Oh, I was so embarrassed. I tell you, embarrassment will fuel a lot of energy. And I was never going to do that again. And it was also the first time I learned a little trick. I should probably not tell you, but I will. Um, (laughs) Is that when you're really scared or when you're going to cry and you don't want to cry, you squeeze your butt cheeks together. (laughs) And so I remember sitting in that office with him and I'm going, do the math. And I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just like you know holding on to be like yeah because you can't you can't cry and you you know if you do that so <laughs> high value in this uh podcast you're offering here to your people <laughs> so, so we so we had a a comment oh. from before this kind of cuts us out but so oh, I working if i don't feel productive for me that would be around 3 p.m i wake up early exercise do affirmations then start calling texting email clients from 9 to 12 that's my productive time. I do follow up in marketing in the afternoon, but sometimes I feel like I lose steam. Yeah, I'm a huge believer in naps. Can you nap? Can we talk to him or no, we can't talk to him, eh? No, this is a this is an older one, but yeah, someone else agreed to saying the same thing. Sometimes I get up at 3 a.m. and tired by three to four, and it's I've been really productive. I mean you know, the thing is, is because this is the problem um with these morning routines, right? So here, here's where I would flip. So that one fellow who, who offered the question, so I'm doing all the exercise, everything in the morning. Now, if you love it and that drives you and that's what fuels you to three, then great. If not, flip it. Do your exercise at three o'clock in the afternoon and then get that second wind for the rest of the day. Yeah. Right? Like do all your productive work because that quiet time in the morning, that's like, Unless his nine to 12 is his most productive time, then that's fine. But like I do all the exercise and the morning rituals and all of that, but I do it at night or I do like I do my planning at night. I do. And the other way you can do it, if you want to add some of that stuff in, is to task stack. 
So like I'll do gratitude, but I do it as I'm, you know, pushing this, the one snooze round, right? I like hear my alarm and I'm like, okay. And then I kind of live in the haze of, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about today. What a beautiful day, you know, excited, like all of that prep work. And then when you're in the shower, same thing, right? Use your shower for your meditation, like find ways to task stack Mm. so that you can shorten that time, get into the work. And by three o'clock in the afternoon, absolutely take a break, do a run around the block. You've got to do that, especially if the pattern is that you're slipping. Yeah. Right. Because if the pattern is you're slipping, then why are we fighting against the grain? Because your work level, like your successful output will be diminished. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully that that helped out, Brad. Um, Now. Okay, we're gonna get one piece of advice now for that 18 year old woman that was shy, that didn't, was saying all the negative uh, content about herself. What kind of advice would you give to her? <laughs> oh, many, uh, <laughs> but I would, it would be around the perspective. Mm-hmm. It would be around, you're not that flawed a human being, you're just a human being. Yeah, I mean, I think that sometimes, and I, I can only imagine, I mean, especially growing up today with all the social media and everything going out there, it'd probably be almost more amplified, kind of oh. yourself and yeah. These poor, yeah, it, because they're it, for some of them, they're too young. Their their brains aren't even, you know, fully formed yet, right? And adults are fifty five years old and calling me and going, I'm totally stressed out. Like social, I'm addicted to you know whatever like. Instagram or, you know, like if we can't figure it out as, you know, people over the age of 30, what are we expecting our kids to do? Yeah. Right. Like it's, and you know, even I saw a friend of mine, I'm like, Oh my gosh, you had an incredible vacation. Like that was great. She's like, she starts laughing. She's like, Oh my gosh, it was the worst. If you saw (laughs) what was happening, they were divorced two months later, they separated. (laughs) It was that bad, but on screen, it looks phenomenal, right? And so, you know, we're we're comparing ourselves to these moments in time. And, you know, the human experience is messy. We need the the high end, like we need the joy, we need the good, and we can only understand that and feel happiness in direct relation to our ability to feel sadness. Yeah. Well, you even said it on, on, on here where you're like, oh, my gosh, it sounds like I've had a, such a horrible life. We're talking about all the struggles you've kind of gone through and worked through it. We're compiling all these moments into 30 minutes, 40 minutes of this podcast right here. And when you're talking about on social media where we see a picture or a video of a week long vacation and you're like, yeah. Yeah. You think it's really great. But the thing is that it, nobody's life is great all the time. And, you know, we, my hope is that even when things are going wrong, and this is where I really, you know, try to practice from a place of when things are going wrong, I can still feel joy, I can still feel gratitude, and I can still feel contentment, even in the middle of a total shitstorm. And if we can get to a point of that, then we have freedom in our life, in our being. Well, 
talking about, and hopefully the next five years is not a shitstorm. But let's say no. we're talking, you know, five years from now. Where are you going to be? What's going to be your story? Uh, I hope it's a continuation of where I am now, which is in a very, you know, beautiful, peaceful spot, and really with a mission to help serve people and help them get out of their negative storyline and step into their own brilliance, get out of their own way. Uh, so doing that in terms of business model, I'd love to be back on stages speaking. I'd love to be in front of audiences, of course. And I'm also enjoying serving people on the virtual stage, right? So uh, speaking, so I can't imagine. Now, I have no idea what the future holds and I'm totally open and curious about uncertainty. Uh, but I hope, and I hope not, but that I'm still doing what I'm doing just on a bigger level, reaching more people, talking to more people, writing more books. I mean, I've got four at this point. So let's up the ante. And we, we actually met on Clubhouse. And so, I mean, growing that platform. So if you're on Clubhouse, you might be able to have that one-on-one -on -one interaction. So yeah. Oh, I love Clubhouse. Talk about addiction. <laughs> Are you enjoying it? Are you loving I, it? I, I, I haven't partaked as much. Uh, I was when I first started going. Now it's just trying to find the right room to get into because some rooms not really figuring it out too much. And then other rooms, I'm just like falling in love with it. Yeah. It's really finding out the right room that kind of connects with you. Yeah. And you know what? It can be really a time suck, right? Yeah. It can be, and it also like it's led to new conversations with people. Like what a grateful, like whatever room it was that we were in together, right? They all blend together. What, what a great thing. And now here we are talking, right? Okay. So, you know, so there's been a lot of benefit that's come out of it and I'm, I'm enjoying it. And I also am like, I got to know when to turn it off. Yeah. And yeah. over time, that yeah, we'll see where where it takes us. So if you're listening to us on the actual audio platform, there's probably a lot of changes that happened to Clubhouse. I would assume by then. So this, if you're watching on YouTube, yeah, partake in Clubhouse. And if you're if you're looking for Allison Service, what's the best way of them reaching you? Finding out new books you're bringing out. What's the best way, Allison? Uh, definitely come on over to AllisonGraham.co. So it's .co, and I'm there. I'm on LinkedIn. I do a lot of work on LinkedIn and Clubhouse is my new fave. So I'm I'm accessible. And of course, if people are, you know, just feeling like they're they, they're doing it, but they've got it all the burnout and the stress and the guilt and the, all the stuff that we've talked about or really beating themselves up, uh, you know, I offer coaching. So that's an option as well. Well, perfect. Thank, thank you guys for listening. If you're going through going through something, going through anything. I mean, grab one of Allison's books, maybe reach out to her if you if you need that one on one platform. I mean, it's been a pleasure to have you on here, Allison. Thank you. I love it. I mean, I just feel like I, I probably could have done a little bit more logically, right? That <laughs> <laughs> no, was good. I, th I think it, it it allowed us kind of to, to, to hear your story to understand because I mean, I think where you came from the idea of having those insecurities, having those fears and everything you're, t you're telling us, I mean, myself and listeners, right. These insecurities you have, you're talking about, Oh, I hurt myself at this NASCAR thing. Oh, I was skiing down here. And so you're doing all these fun activity, all these things that people probably wish they could do that. You're saying them that you had these insecurities. So it's like, I'm assuming a lot of people listening were in the same boat or are in the same boat yet to see your positivity and kind of where you came and, 
and how you were able to kind of learn from the items that, that you went through, I think it's fairly powerful. So I think yeah. we, we went the right way. Awesome. Good. Well, thanks for having me on and thanks for the work you're doing and bringing these stories to light. I think it's very important. I appreciate it. And guys, if you have any real estate questions, I know I don't like to bring this up on the podcast, but if you have any real estate questions, please take a look at our website, reach out, thenricusgroup.com. Please subscribe, please share. And of course, take Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.